1: My name is Colin, and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the conference call regarding Stelco's first quarter results for 2021. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there'll be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, please press star, then two. Uh, Thank you. Mr. Harris, you may begin your conference.
2: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Stelco's quarterly earnings conference call. Speaking on the call today, to discuss our first quarter results for 2021 will be Alan Kestenbaum, our executive chairman and chief executive officer, and Paul Scherzer, our chief financial officer. Yesterday, after the market closed, we issued a press release overviewing Stelco's financial results for the first quarter of 2021. This press release, along with the company's financial statements and management's discussion and analysis, have been posted on CDAR and on our Investor Relations website at investors.stelco.com. We have provided a link to the presentation referenced on today's call on our website as well. I'd like to inform everyone that comments made on today's call may contain forward-looking statements which involve assumptions which have inherent risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially from the statements made today, so do not place undue reliance upon them. STELCO management disclaims any obligation to update forward-looking statements, except as required by law. With that in mind, I would ask everybody on today's call to read the legal disclaimers on page two of the accompanying earnings presentation, and also to refer to the risks and assumptions outlined in STELCO's public disclosures. In particular, the first quarter 2021, management's discussion and analysis sections relating to forward-looking information and risks and uncertainties, as well as our filings with securities commissions in Canada. The appendix of our presentation and the non IFRS performance measures and review of non IFRS measures of our MD&A provide definitions and reconciliations of the non IFRS measures that we use today. Please also note that all dollar figures referred to in today's call will be in Canadian dollars unless otherwise noted. Following today's prepared remarks, Alan and Paul will be taking questions. To maximize efficiency, we'd ask that all participants who would like to ask a question please limit themselves to one question and one follow-up question before requeuing. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Alan.
3: Thank you, Trevor, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today.
4: I'm excited to share with you some of the details that led to what has been a remarkable quarter for our business and the beginning of the realization of the robust financial implications from the investments we have made in our equipment, people, and balance sheets. All of those efforts have contributed to a historic quarter for Stelco, and we are just getting started. We have just started to see the initial impact from the significant gains in production and efficiency from our recently upgraded smart blast furnace, and the results have been outstanding, but there's a lot more to come in the current quarter and beyond. Throughout the first quarter, we set numerous production records resulting from the increase in hot metal capacity we achieved through this strategic and generational Investment. At the same time, we continue to leverage our industry-leading cost position to generate 185 million in adjusted EBITDA, which is over 200% higher than the prior quarter and a 28% EBITDA margin, by far the highest of any reporting company in the North American steel industry. Over the quarter, we took advantage of improving pricing that existed in the market when we took these orders in the fourth quarter of 2020. For reference, pricing being realized now on new hot rolled coil orders today is close to double the average price achieved in the first quarter, all straight to the bottom line. Moreover, we have utilized our tactical flexibility strategy to not only meet the market demand of our customers, but to deliver record volumes of high-value-added, cold-rolled, and coated products to the market. You will recall that keeping our penetration in these markets has been a core part of our growth strategy for the past two years. In fact, on our previous call, I noted that we were continuing to focus in this area and remain committed to growing our business in, the, in this area. Well, we have delivered. Compared to the fourth quarter of 2020, we more than doubled our shipment of these products in Q1 marking the highest volume of shipments of cold rolled and coated steel since we acquired Stelco in mid 2017. For the quarter, more than 25% of our shipments were to customers of these high value added products. Our outstanding results in the first quarter are a clear validation of the extensive strategic investments we have made in our operating facilities and the continued adoption of our tactical flexibility strategy. To further enhance our capabilities in this regard, We completed the commissioning of our new pig iron caster during the quarter, which will open opportunities for Stelco to reshape the North American market for pig iron and allow us to supply up to 1 million tons of these valuable iron units. But keeping with our tactical flexibility model, only when the pricing suits Stelco compared to other alternative products. Prospective customers have taken note of our capabilities and our thesis, and we are engaged in ongoing discussions. Related to this point, last quarter, Paul and I shared with you part of our thesis related to the impact of scrap pricing on our EAF competitors. As we look forward at the projected price of busheling scrap, it continues to be higher than the implied cost of our blended product mix by a substantial margin. I will ask Paul to again share the details with you, but we view this as a significant competitive advantage considering our significantly lower exposure to scrap than our EAF counterparts. As the EAF market continues to compete over the tight domestic supply of scrap, as well as competing with China, we see significant opportunity to exploit both our low-cost position and our new pig caster to provide high-value iron units when the market conditions are right. Our strategy is working, and the continued alignment of our management team with our shareholders keeps us laser focused on providing value and positive returns for all of you who have put faith in our leadership and our business. I am pleased that we are again in position to offer a quarterly dividend of 10 cents per share in recognition of that commitment. We are very pleased with the state of our business today, but we will not rest on our laurels. There is much yet to accomplish and significant opportunity for us to push the envelope and grow our business even further. Work is continuing on our electricity cogeneration facility that will lower our energy costs by utilizing more of our existing byproduct fuel sources and at the same time improve our energy reliability and reduce our net carbon footprint. The rehabilitation and upgrade work of the Coke battery at our Lake Erie works is also well underway. When complete, this project will further enhance the performance of what has already what was already one of the best performing Coke batteries in North America. We expect more efficient production with improvements in both yield and greenhouse gas emissions while lowering the cost of one of our major raw material inputs. We are deeply engaged in meeting the challenge of reducing our carbon emissions and acting as industry leaders in this regard. Our management team is continuously evaluating opportunities to reduce our net carbon footprint and we will maintain a leadership role in our industry. While we recognize meeting this challenge will take time and considerable effort, we are committed to making a continuous effort to incrementally reducing our emissions. In this quarter, not only have we achieved an EBITDA margin of 28%, which is the highest amongst North American steel reporting companies, and only one of two with a two-handle, but also a conversion into net income of 84% which is also the highest in the industry and a reflection of our focus on maintaining best structured balance sheet in the industry. This pace of performance is actually accelerating as we continue to expect even better results going forward and as our capital projects are winding down. We have the luxury to now focus on increasing shareholder value through smart capital allocation decisions of which there are many options available to us. We have come a very long way in a relatively short period of time. Our end markets are firing on all cylinders, and we anticipate that accelerating as the world emerges from COVID and historic level of savings in consumer pockets starts being spent, along with significant government spending on infrastructure projects. Moreover, new emerging markets, such as electric vehicles, are creating new opportunities for Stelco, and we are positioned to meet those challenges and take advantages of these opportunities. Our core structure demonstrates that we have built a unique, resilient business that is not only capable of thriving at all points of the market cycle, but one that can excel at a very high level in stronger markets. At this time, I'd like to ask our CFO, Paul Scherzer, to provide some comments specific to our financial performance.
0: Thanks, Alan, and good morning, everyone. As Alan noted, the results we achieved in the first quarter are testament to the hard work of our employees and reflect our continued commitment to controlling our costs and maximizing the financial return on our capital investments. Because of these efforts, we were able to take full advantage of the extremely favorable pricing that has developed in recent months and deliver very strong and much improved results this quarter. In addition to our adjusted EBITDA reaching a two-year high at $185 million in the quarter, we also saw a high watermark with respect to adjusted net income, which came in at $155 million for the quarter, up almost 700% from the same period last year, despite only a 36% increase in average selling prices. Some of this can be attributed to an increase in shipments, but in large part, we are seeing the impact of our commitment to cost containment and the investments we have made in the business to solidify our position as a low-cost producer. Considering the challenges placed upon all of us as a result of the COVID pandemic over the past year, these are remarkable achievements that we are extremely proud of. Of course, the market has been favorable. As we reached record levels of hot metal production and benefit from the investment in our smart blast furnace, we are able to convert those tons into shipments by not only meeting the demands of our customers, but by doing so in the higher value-added, cold-rolled, and coated markets. As a result, we saw our average selling price rise to $959 per ton across all product lines. I am pleased that we were able to exceed our shipment expectations for the first quarter, and I expect that the strong market demand we have seen through the quarter will continue. Accordingly, we expect to maintain our first quarter shipping volume through the second quarter. Alan referred to our favorable cost position compared to the forecast price of scrap in the market. The slide on page four of our presentation demonstrates once again that our business has exceptional earnings power compared to businesses that are solely reliant on scraps as their raw material input. Of course, this graph does not consider any of the manufacturing or processing costs incurred by the electric arc furnace sector, just the projected cost of their primary raw material. We see this as an affirmation of the strategic investment in our blast furnace and a meaningful competitive advantage that demonstrates the exceptional earnings power our business holds. We are now seeing the power of the flexibility in our business model. With the current robust market and strong demand for our high-value-added products, we are able to convert our hot metal production into downstream products that maximize our margins and generate maximum benefit to our shareholders. However, the commissioning of our pig iron caster will also afford us the opportunity to supply up to 1 million tons of highly valued iron units to the electric arc furnace sector should the market be favorable and in turn allow us to maximize the value of our blast furnace investment through every part of the market cycle. In light of these changes and to further explain the earnings power of Stelco, based on continued shipments at current levels and based on our anticipated mix with pricing in the second half of 2021 consistent with the current forward curve for hot rolled coil on the CME, we are capable of generating full year adjusted EBITDA of more than 2 billion dollars. That's a figure that is achievable based on the parameters outlined and would be three times the high watermark the company achieved in 2018. I want to emphasize that we do not intend to offer earnings guidance on an ongoing basis, but today we do want to make clear the exciting potential of this business in the current market. The first quarter has delivered the results we believed were possible when we embarked on our strategic capital plan, but it is only the beginning. We will stay true to our commitment to maintaining a strong balance sheet and pursue opportuni- opportunities They'll both grow our markets or enhance our industry-leading cost position. Our tactical flexibility model provides us the tools to adapt to changing dynamics in the marketplace and to fully exploit those opportunities and, most importantly, allows us to achieve the highest possible return for our shareholders. I share Alan's enthusiasm for our business and look forward to sharing in our continued success. Thank you for taking the time to join our call.
2: Thank you, Alan and Paul. That concludes our prepared remarks. And now I'd like to turn the call back over to the operator for Q&A. Operator?
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll now begin the question and answer session. Um, as previously stated, uh, please limit yourself to one question, one follow-up. However, you may requeue for questions. Uh, should you have a question, please press star, followed by one on your touch-tone phone. You'll hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order they received. Should you wish a decline from the polling process, please press star, followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Your first question comes from David Gagliano from BMO
5: Capital Markets. David, please go ahead. Great. Thanks for uh, taking my questions. Um, I just wanted to obviously focus in a bit on the $2 billion uh, number in terms of what it means for free cash flow. On our numbers, it translates to about $1.4 billion or something like that, of free cash flow potential. And, and just as you think about the plans for that cash, um, can you give us a sense as to roughly you know how much you think Stelco will allocate you know, between, you know, buckets like building cash um, and presumably that bucket will include, you know, building cash to fund the 2022 free cash flow suite, you know, for the pension. Um, but just in terms of allocating between building, ca- excuse me, building cash, returning that cash to the shareholders and the investment opportunities, just, you know, rough percentages or ranges for each of those buckets would be very helpful. And then also, if you could just talk about the timing
3: of the, um, you know, these, these capital allocation plans, that'd be great. Thanks. look um David with respect to capital allocation, I think we all uh we
4: mentioned on the previous call that uh you know now is when we're achieving the cash coming in and it's it's coming in you know rather quickly right now and that's accelerating in the current quarter as well um, you know we have a, we have a unique opportunity to generate a lot of cash flow this year, and um yes to certain obligations, I want to remind everyone that our pensions go away once we hit the four hundred million dollar um number uh which is already you know 100 million paid down there'll be another meaningful dent in that this year as a result of the free cash flow sweep. but that that is going to go away uh, It's was supposed to go away by 2034 we think it'll be gone by 2024 10 years beforehand really happy about that great you know great for our our, our workers um and, and our shareholders and everybody else which is a, a core principle for us that we like to achieve but the real opportunity here is going to be that we're going to be uh, achieving a a significant amount of cash. And we have a lot of opportunities. The main thing for us right now, because we, the management team, uh, and our partners are the largest shareholders in this company. And we think that this stock has a chance to more than double from where it's at today. And we want to make the decision with this cash that enables that to happen. Um, You know, we're not going to provide more clarity than that at this point, except that this is a unique opportunity to generate an enormous amount of cash without uh, accessing capital from debt or equity markets, uh, which is great. That's the best kind of you know, cash that you want to generate. And we we want to do something that's going to you know meaningfully move uh, the share price. I mean, if you look at our price today, we're trading at you know less than one and a half times uh, of, you know, of, of this number, uh, and you know that's obviously ridiculous. And so um, you know we want to do things that are meaningful that are going
3: to really get us you know up to where our peers are trading. and and we think we will get there. Okay, just to follow that up a
5: little bit more, um, you know, when you think about the opportunities out there to get that share price, you know, meaningfully higher, and obviously uh, the multiple is extremely low, um, you know, do you think it's more likely going to come through, you know, cash returns to shareholders or um, through investments? Again, I'm just trying to get a sense as to how you're thinking about, weighting um, those two those two buckets specifically
4: yeah so you know we have we have the luxury to do to really do all of the above um you know we're going to speak with our advisors about what the best uh the best um uh bank for the buck is going to be uh could could, in, could include all of that and um you know uh I, you know we're, we're now we want to we want to evaluate this this is a um a great opportunity to achieve that and um, you know we recognize that opportunity exists this year, uh, so you know we're, we're we're in the short term here, not in the medium or long term, and you know, we want to do things that are going to be meaningful, um, could be everything, could be share buybacks, could be you know other uh, investments that really move the needle of this company and grow the company, you know we'll see, we'll make that determination. but we've not made any determinations this uh, year, except to say that when you have a clean balance sheet with no debt and um, all your uh, uh obligations, the employees are in trust or balance sheet, you've got every single option available to you. And that really makes us unique. We don't need to speak to bondholders. We don't need consents. We don't need anything. We're completely free and open to do whatever it is is going to get, you know, these uh, the share price up to a place that it deserves to be. And and so, um, you know, we will make that decision and then uh, make announcements uh, as uh, as necessary.
5: Okay. And then just... One last question to me. Switching gears, um, just to calibrate, um, you know, timing and magnitude of when, you know, these these higher spot prices flow through results. If, if if you know if we if we went back, we lag spot price about three months. We come up with about a, you know, a four hundred fifty to five hundred dollar um, quarter over quarter price increase in Canadian dollars, four fifty to five
3: hundred um, for the second quarter. Is is, is that a reasonable range uh, to assume for the second quarter?
0: David, I think that that's probably a little bit high, but not, uh, not not outside the realm of the possible. So we still do have the lag, as you know, um, and um, you know we're working through with with HRC as well as with some of the value add. So so there will be a very meaningful step up. I don't know that we'll get
3: quite to that level. Okay, um, and all right, I'll leave it at that. Your
1: next question comes from David Ocanto from Cormac Securities. David, please go ahead.
3: Uh, thanks. Good morning, everyone.
6: Uh, Alan, I was wondering if you can give us an update on on your current tax shield and, and what your expectation is for this year, on, on when you can potentially pay that uh, your taxes.
0: Uh, David, it's it's actually Paul. I'll take that one. Um, so so as you know, we we enter the year with about a billion one of tax attributes. Um, that's divided between NOLs as well as uh, as ca- as well as tax attributes related, related to CapEx. The NOLs we could fully utilize, uh, and we would expect to fully utilize those this year based on uh, what we've done in the first quarter as well as where, uh, obviously, earnings are going. Um, the other ones we could only use over a period of years, so those will bleed in. Uh, so, we'll get a very sizable tax shield this year, but we won't be able to use the full billion one. Uh, the other thing to note is we're continuing to add tax attributes through our CapEx this year.
6: Okay, that's great. And then and maybe zeroing in on the cost structure here, I take a look at the, the, the cost per ton. It's higher than last year's number. And, and I understand part of that is, is your value-added products. But is the remaining delta, you know, just from higher scrap prices? And if so, where's your cost structure today, you know, relative to the $400 per ton that you've indicated in the past?
4: right um so uh actually our costs are lower than last year uh as you noted the uh, the numbers that we're reporting is a mix that includes the price of zinc and everything else on galvanized but um you know we are we are um we're, we're performing at that at that level uh that you've indicated on hrc the only change to that is we do use some scrap uh and so uh that number um we we adjust that number and the impact of scrap is probably about $15 per ton. Think about that. Uh, $15 U.S. per ton is the impact of the increase in scrap compared to our competition that um, has, the, for every $100, uh, the actual impact is about $115 uh, because of uh, because of yield losses. So pretty modest impact, and we are hitting that number uh, and actually beating that number um, in most months. So really amazing work by our team in, in
3: keeping the cost low. Okay, that's great. That's my that's my too. Your next question comes from Alex
1: Jackson from RBC. Alex, please go ahead.
6: Yeah, hi, guys. Thanks for taking my question, and congrats on a solid quarter. Uh, so a two-parter for me. Uh, just firstly on the sort of $2 billion EBITDA estimate, other than HRC pricing, I'm just curious what you think maybe the biggest risks are to achieving something like that this year. And then on the other part, um, with HRC prices, kind of where they're at, do you think it
3: makes sense to enter some sort of swaps or hedges, maybe on a, a smaller portion of your expected ship tons? Thanks.
4: Well, I mean, as we said, uh, the, the number is based on real numbers that are out there today. Uh, on the CME, you can open up the CME and see the forward curve and, and you know, and do the math. So, um, you know, and, and and, you know, as we said, you know, it's in excess of $2 billion. So, um, you know, the answer is that, uh, yeah, that's the reference point. Uh, you know, we expect that uh, we're also going to make incremental margin on uh, on uh, value-added products. And, you know, this market continues to, to, to go up. I mean, the CRU today uh, went up by $48, you know, in one week. It's literally every day that the pricing is moving. So, you know, we don't know where the top is. You know, with respect to hedging, uh, we you know, we messed up in Q4 uh, by thinking we were at the end of the rally uh, and hedged, and that cost us, and you know, we learned from that. That doesn't mean we would never hedge again. There's so much momentum in there right now. Um, when you see a market moving in lockstep like this so quickly, um, you know, I think it's best for us to continue to let this trend ride out. Uh, and then, you know, if we start to see slips and we miss the top by, you know, 40, 50 bucks a ton, like, who cares? I mean, if the forward curve today – for June, for instance, is 1570. Right? CRU is 14, I think, 1450, 60, something like that. So, I mean, we got a lot of margin for error here. You know, um, the trend is your friend. The trend is really strong. You're seeing this not only in steel, but you're seeing this in lumber as well. Um, you know, if it drops 50 bucks and we see things change, uh, you know, we, we might look at that. But right now, we see nothing changing. Inventories are exceptionally low at our customers, and, and markets are really strong uh imports are not moving because people don't want to take the risk on six month lead times um, scrap is surging uh you know every day uh everything is pointing to continued strength and continued price increases uh and you know we have little to lose by um by 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 waiting a little bit and you know a lot to gain a lot to gain and i think our investors generally who buy a stock you know want – Understand that this pricing, every dollar price increase goes right to our bottom line, and our investors, by and large, want that exposure. That's why they buy our stock, and um, you know. And uh, so I think we're gonna gonna stay with that strategy until we see any sign of it debating, and of which we don't. Literally every day we see the price going up five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars, depending on the day. So that's continuing. Uh, we could have had this discussion, you know, I don't know, a month ago when the price was thirteen fifty or fourteen hundred. And, and the answer would have been the same. You know, the question would have been completely appropriate that you're asking. And I probably would have given you the same answer. And had we hedged? You know, today we'd be explaining, oh, my God, why'd, they, why'd we hedge at 170 bucks a ton below the market? Uh, and so, you know, it, it's, a a, it's a bit of a guesswork here. But, you know, I've learned, having been in this business a long time, the
3: trend is your friend. Uh, the markets are surging. And, you know, let's continue to enjoy the ride. Your next question comes from Kurt Woodward from Credit Swiss. Kurt, please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning, Alan and Paul. Alan, I, I guess you know, the first question is just if you believe that your
6: equity is trading at a, a 50% in a discount to what you think is fair value, why? And, and given the free cash flow outlook, you know what, what's preventing you from at least, you know, putting in a share buyback authorization, at least give you, you know, flexibility to
4: take advantage of, you know, some of the volatility in your stock? Nothing is preventing us from doing that. Um, And, um, you know, what I would say is, you know, we're going to get our hands on a lot of cash this year. And when we do something, we want to do something that's going to be big, meaningful, and impactful rather than, you know, dribbling in a share buyback program. But your question is completely correct. Nothing prevents us from doing it.
3: So in terms of doing something big and meaningful, um, you know, would you include potential acquisitions
6: in terms of the strategic opportunity set?
4: Uh, Listen, you know, um, some things are overpriced today. Uh, So, uh, you know, acquisitions are tricky. And, you know, we've built here a great model here, and we certainly don't want to dilute our position in doing that. Um, So, you know, I I wouldn't look, you know, I don't know that acquisitions are necessarily, um, you know, something that, you know, we will do because, you know, I think that uh, some assets, I mean, clearly look at, look at our performance, right? We've got the highest EBITDA margins in the industry uh, with a pricing that is half of what the current market is. So, you can imagine what we're going to be doing going forward. And so, you know, to buy something that's going to dilute that position when you're the best acquisitions are tough not only because of price but because you don't want to dilute being the best, and we want to continue to get better so uh that narrows the scope in terms of uh what's available there's been a lot of consolidation which is already which really helps us because the playing field has changed our, our you know we're you know, the, the market is, uh, you know, is very, very well set up in that perspective. So, you know, when you look at acquisitions for purpose of consolidation, we don't need to do that because some of our really you know, well-run competitors have, uh, have done that already for us. So we don't really need to do that. So we have to look at things that are going to make us better. And that means not diluting our course position. And uh, those of you who know me for you know, the last 15 years running public companies, you know, overpaying is not my thing. Um, but as I keep, uh, I know people want to know what we're going to do with the cash and, and into your question. I mean, you know, let's just say we generate a billion in cash today. I mean, in this year, you know, what would be wrong with buying half our stock that nothing. So everything's on the table. Um, we're going to, you know, we're going to evaluate it really carefully, not do things that are symbolic, like small share repurchases and things like that. Um, but do things that are going to really move the needle to, to get this company's, uh, valuation to where it it belongs, which is, you know, at least double where it's
3: at today. And, you know, I guess, you know, when you look at yourself versus your your peers, your your cost position is, you
6: know, arguably the best in North America, certainly today. So, you know, really, you you could argue maybe the product mix is, you know, slightly more commoditized versus your peers. Are are you contemplating any more substantial downstream investment, either in – rolling or uh, fabrication at some point?
4: Look, I mean, if you look at uh, our peers um, and you look at their, uh, their movement to, to um, downing downstream at the fabrication, it um, hasn't worked. And, um, you know, I think that in the steel industry, what I've learned is that there are two issues. One, you, you tend to buy your customers put put your material in and not really have a one plus one equals three. Instead you have plus one plus one equals one and a half. That's one. And you can just look at the numbers of some of our competitors and see how that has happened. Um, you know, and, and if you look at, you know, some of our other, I don't want to put names here, but some of them that have, you know, specifically called out the hot rolling business, um, you know, of, uh, of, of, of their, of their EAF production, for instance, um, you know, you look at U.S. Steel, for instance, and they call out specifically the production and performance of um, Big River. You know, you see there how much better Big River is doing than than their competitors, and that's and that's because they don't have this downstream stuff. Um, so you have that issue, and then you have uh, and then you have um, channel conflicts, which is a definite issue in this business. Um, it, the customers are very sensitive to that. We don't want to compete with our customers. So um, I think for financial reasons, looking at other people's um, acquisitions that i don't think have really worked out uh and uh looking at the the types of things uh, and again citing you know let we'll just look at big river on a standalone basis how well they have done compared to their their peers uh, i think what we learned from that is staying close to your knitting uh is really you know where the where the where the business is at and and so um you know i don't see us going down into the fabrication things and you know if, if uh we've got a lot of op- options and opportunities now that are better uh, and uh, you know we'll we'll evaluate those, including potentially uh, share buybacks and things like that.
3: Okay. And then just a quick one for Paul: the, the the two billion number implies about you know 1.8 billion over the last three
6: quarters, but you know 2Q will largely be a function of some of the lag pricing we saw in the first quarter. So you know I know the two billion is based on the forward curve, but what would be the I guess you know kind of implied HRC? price um that's embedded in the last uh three quarters of that two billion number so we kind of understand what the real baseline is thank you
0: yeah no that's that that that's a fair question and you're absolutely correct that we've still got the lag hitting us this quarter Um, so uh to one of the questions asked earlier in the call you know we'll be up a few hundred bucks a ton Um, when you look forward um with with where we are and where the order book is, we're now taking orders for q three um that's at where the current market is um and so we think the forward curve is a pretty fair representation and you know i mean it, it it's as simple as just uh going to the cme website looking at, at the HRC forward months and you'll see where the prices uh where the prices are um you know to give you a feel as as of today um it's showing July actually north of where CRU is, uh, and then August, September north of 1500, um, and uh, you know in December you're still uh, well above uh, the mid 1300s. So it's just it's just taking that curve, Kurt, and uh, something you could you could take a look at.
3: All right, thank you.
1: Your next question comes from Seth Rosenfeld from Exane bmp Seth, please go ahead
6: thank you good morning
1: uh, just a couple more
6: questions with regards to your volume and product mix outlook um obviously there's a bit of a trade-off the higher value-add products achieving higher asps but perhaps a um, higher yield loss and lower shipment volumes on an effective basis um how are you thinking about the trade-off in terms of pushing more into value-add or trying to maximize your volumes uh with more commodity-grade hot oil coil right now um, and just confirm whether you're still seeing Better uh aggregate margins as you move more into cold rolled and gals. I'll start there, please.
4: Yeah, Seth, that's exactly uh you know you know right right down right down uh, um, you know right down the center of our philosophy, which is tactical flexibility. We evaluate that all the time. Um, We're not committed to anything other than making money, serving our customers, and having the highest uh, margin. We evaluate. We have tools that evaluate on real time. Every minute of every day, are we better off um, taking a higher price of value-added, uh, taking account the yield loss or taking an HRC order? And, and, and the winner is always the one where we make more money. So you're absolutely right. We're not, we're not pursuing value-added um, if it means that the yield loss uh, would result in less profit for Stelco. Uh, on the contrary, we will take the HRC order and sacrifice uh, the value-added order. So when we, when, we, when we calculate every single order that we take, even on value added, we, we, we calculate it back to what the HRC equivalent is,
3: and if it doesn't beat an HRC order, we just take the HRC order. Thank you. Um, a second question, please, with regard to growth.
6: Uh, you talked a lot about opportunities for um, shareholder returns, uh, largely through dividends and buybacks. Um, on growth, I guess one project that hasn't been brought up so far is your option for, for MINTAC. Can you walk us through the attractiveness of trying to execute that now when you have such strong cash generation versus waiting towards later in that option
4: agreement? Yeah, I, I, I don't wanna signal that, you know, you know, when we might do that for competitive reasons, but um, you know, we've got seven years uh to make that decision. Uh and um you know, uh, the you know I think as we said before, we're you know, if, and if you look at the timing of when we executed that uh, agreement, we're pretty happy with the arrangement that we have right now on the uh, purchase agreement. So, um, you know, uh, I, I think, I, I mean, just to put them out there, I'd say there's better opportunities in executing that right now, but that doesn't mean that we won't execute it. There's just um, there's some better things to look at that could uh, meaningfully move our share price. You know, for example, share buybacks and things like that that could have a much you know more meaningful um, more meaningful impact to the share price so um, really happy with that deal Uh, positioned us well Um, we've got a uh, we're we're satisfied with the agreement um, you know that we have and you know I wouldn't uh, necessarily say that would be the first thing on our list for our use of our cash great thank you just one last question please Um,
6: can you confirm capex budget for this year and given the very strong ASP environment
4: expectation for further working capital investment? Well, I mean, working capital investment, there is no working capital investment because uh, you know we're just, we're just running our business. Uh, CapEx, uh, total CapEx, and we're meaningfully through it. It's really just based, um, if you look at the ongoing CapEx, maintenance CapEx, a business like ours to keep it running at the level that we're at, you gotta think about in terms of uh, 80 million a year uh, and we have the um, Coke battery, which is about 120 million dollar project. So uh, I think if you use uh, 200, you know, you're, you're you're kind of in the ballpark.
3: And you know, a lot a lot of that's already been spent. Okay. Next Thank year we go much. back. We go down. To, next year we go back to the uh, 80 million. Great. Thank you. That's all the time we have anyway, for questions. I think we're, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're over time. I'm going to thank
4: everybody for joining the call today. I wish everyone a great day. Uh, we're really, uh, really happy with uh, how things are going and a lot more great things to come, guys. So thank you so much.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your line.
5: What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission?